Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. Joining me today for the conversation is Vicar Leeper. Always happy to be here. And today we're recording early and it's snowing in April. Yes. And so it's just kind of neat. So when you guys hear this, you will remember the fun that we had uh, in April when it snowed. Hopefully there's not still snow by May. Please, please no. <laughs> well, today we're going to look at the seventh Sunday of Easter. And I have to confess that I enjoy the fact that we truly celebrate the resurrection for 50 days. Yes. It's not Jesus rose, moving on with my life. Mm -hmm. Jesus rose, let's talk about it. Let's dwell with it. Let's deal with it. And that's exactly what we get to do today. We're going to focus a lot on the gospel lesson, which is St. John chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And this, in context, is right before the Lord's Supper. And it's the high priestly prayer. And Jesus is making some really big statements. And it is very clear, it is obvious, the disciples don't have a clue. Right. Not that they're dummies, not that they uh, can't understand. They don't get it. Now, before we go into the content, I want to look at the type of speech that Jesus is doing here. Because mm -hmm. this, this is a prayer. Right. Jesus is talking to his heavenly Father. He makes that clear. But he's also speaking for the benefit of those who are listening. And I think of John 11, when Jesus prays at the tomb of Lazarus, yeah. where he prays, you know, Lord, hear me. I know that you always hear me, right. but I pray this on behalf of those who are here. And I think this high priestly prayer is kind of a similar type of speech where Jesus is praying to his father, knowing his father in heaven, God the father, always hears him. Mm -hmm. But he prays this for the benefit of those who are listening. So I think this is meant to be heard as both a prayer, a communication to God, but also kind of a sermon mm -hmm. to the disciples who are listening, a a conversation that they get to overhear between God the Son and God the Father. Well, could we go as far as say it's, it's almost instructional? Yeah. We're, we're to have this prayer, but it is to deliver the Word. And, and this is not to say that Jesus's prayer is not a prayer, right. that it doesn't really matter that he's also talking to God. This is a conversation that he's having with God the Father that he is inviting the disciples into. Right. That's actually an important thing for the content, too, that Jesus is inviting his disciples into what he himself participates in. Well, yeah, and I was going to add that he models prayer. Yes. And this is something that we're told to do but we also get to do. And we have great benefits because Jesus himself does it. Yeah. And as you said and pointed out several times, for our benefit, and he'll echo this again at the, the end of this text. So it is a prayer. It's right before the Lord's Supper. And he's making this really big statement. And it's pointing to the fact that he is going to die on the cross and he's going to leave the disciples. Yes. And again, disciples have no clue what this really means. Nope. And he really focuses on, I'm sending you out. 
you guys are going to have to do stuff. I'm going to give you all this stuff. But I wanted to jump into verse 14. I have given them your word. And of course, Jesus is talking to his father. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I'd like to pause here and we'll right. continue. But the whole idea that Jesus flat out says, Father, I have given them what you have given me, which literally is me. Mm -hmm. I have given them me because that's what you sent me to do. And now I'm going to send them out into the world. Keep them in the world. And I think this is a huge statement because I know personally in my sermons and my Bible studies and then in just in personal conversations, I'm really quick to condemn the world. Mm -hmm. The world's bad. The world's evil. Lord, protect us from the world. Um, you know, sin, death, hell, world, flesh, devil, the whole nine yards. The world's never painted in a good light. Right. It's out to get us. I would like to discuss just for a moment, why does the world hate us? Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're part of the world. We're part of creation. Doesn't God like his world? And wouldn't we want to participate, be a part of his creation? Why would Jesus flat out say, the world hates us? Us. Well, and it's important that the direction goes that way. Yeah. In other words, the world hates us. We do not hate yeah. the world. I, I think sometimes that we as Christians get those a little bit flip-flopped mm -hmm. and almost start to think that it's our job to hate the world. Yes. Uh, and that's actually not true. That's Wait. actually not what we're called to. Okay, but now isn't the world the one that's creating all the sinful things that we fall prey to? Uh, isn't the world out to get us? And shouldn't we work to destroy, overcome the world? Well, a couple things. One, let's look at how Jesus overcame the world. Jesus overcame sin, death, and the devil, not by defeating them and destroying them, but by suffering at the hands of them. Mm -hmm. It was victory through suffering. Victory through defeat, first of all. Second thing, I, I think this is really ironic. In verse 15, he's talking, I ask that you, uh, I ask not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Mm -hmm. In other words, the source of evil, the source of danger is not a worldly one, right. but actually a, a spiritual one is actually, you know, the devil here who is the the source of all evil. And this this also could just be evil in general. Right. Um, but I, I think that's kind of an interesting irony there. Well, well, to play on that just a little bit, the devil himself is called the prince of this world. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I love the idea that God works through means. He works through his creation. But so does the devil. Yes. And he corrupts God's good gifts. He helps us to misuse uh appropriate the gifts of God for our sinful wants and desires. And I think it's interesting, again, as you pointed out, not to be taken out of the world, but be protected from the evil one who misuses the world, misuses right. creation. And that's the key. Corruption yes. is what you said there. And what that points to, and this is in Genesis as well, God's creation is good. Mm -hmm. God created a good creation. It has been corrupted. It has been eroded. Mm -hmm. It has been taken to the point where it is misused. But when we look at that, we don't think 
time to get rid of it. Right. We think time to restore it. Well, and I, I like that imagery because now it's what do we get to do in that? Right. And there's a lot that we get to do. And as you, you pointed out, the world may hate us, but what do we do? We get to love, we get to participate, we get to act within that because of what God has done in Christ. And as Jesus says, I'm sending you into the world. And now I'm going to pray for the protection from the evil one, the corruption. Right. But we still have to deal with that in a, in of ourselves, our old Adam and so on and so forth, knowing we're redeemed, knowing that we have the peace that passes all human understanding in Christ, which also brings us to the suffering in the world. And another point that you raised that I want to go back to is this idea of the world hating us and why are they hating us? Why does the world hate us? Because sometimes I think we almost revel in the world's hatred Mm -hmm. of us as Christians a little bit too much. Doesn't it mean we're doing something right if the world hates us? and that's kind of the thing. This this attitude that like, you know, if people are mad at me, then I must be doing something right. right. And of course, there's some truth there. I think you always like to say, if nobody's arguing with me, I'm probably not saying anything. Right. Uh, That's a quote of yours that I I think does stand very, very true here. If if we have nothing to say, then the world would not argue with us. Right. But we do have something to say, and we do, you know, make statements about truth, about Jesus, and that's why people do argue with us. But this type of hatred of the world for us is a very specific type of hatred. This doesn't mean that, oh, I'm a Christian, and I'm kind of a jerk about it, and yeah. people hate me, and but that's okay, because being hated is actually a good thing. No. That's not good. This does not even mean, like— oh, you know, we stand up for, you know, all of these, you know, American Christian values and we fight for, you know, these specific laws and the other political party hates us. This is not even referring to that. Right. The world hates us on account of and because of Jesus. The world hates us when we become Christ-like. That's the type of hatred that Jesus is talking about here. So, so what does that look like? What does it look like for us to encounter that type of hatred? Well, with that, it's true persecution. And it happens on multiple levels because it's not just I'm seeking your life. That did happen. Um, it could be lots and lots of things. But when we look at how the world hates us, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's when we're Christ-like and we are bold enough to speak the truth and stand in Christ. Christ himself says, you will suffer for my name's sake. And we need to understand that, that just because we believe in Christ, you know, it doesn't mean that we show up and, oh, look, the world hates us because we're right. Right. No, the world hates us because it doesn't have Christ, doesn't understand Christ, and doesn't want to. And we need to define world, too, because we're not talking about just simple creation. I'm not to go proclaim to the uh, bunny rabbits and fear for my life because I, I spoke Christ's name. Well, have you ever seen Monty Python? Yeah. I, just, I mean, that that bunny. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I thought of, too, when I said that. But the whole idea that when we really do speak the truth, that's contrary to our old Adam. That's contrary to our selfish wants and desires. That's contrary to the things of corruption that we deal with in the world. And it's it's hard to because saying the world is a vague and ambiguous statement, and it's a huge concept. But we need to understand this is society wherever you are. 
this is culture wherever you are. And it's not just the, the one culture, the one world. This is the life we live in. And when you are bold to speak truth in Christ, stand in Christ, and as you said, be Christ-like. What happened to Jesus right. when he, being the Christ, stood up and spoke? He didn't come riding the white horse, conquering things. He came offering. He came giving. He came sacrificing. And the world still killed him. The world still fought against him. And what does he do? Well, he still continues to come, still continues to offer himself and to work within the life of the world yeah. or the salvation, as you said, the restoration. When they, they hate him for the gospel. Yeah. Like the reason Jesus gets killed is not because he says things like divorce is bad. Right. The reason he gets killed is because he claims to be the son of God. He gets killed for the sake of the gospel. And mm. this is what happens to the disciples too. Look at the stoning of of Stephen, look at the stone look at the death of all of these disciples who become apostles. It's not because they're going around and saying, you know, you got you got to stop that. We're here to impose law and legalism. Mm. They ultimately get killed because the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel is too freeing. Yeah. Is too countercultural to the needs of society, to the needs of the governmental institution, to the point that it's eroding social barriers mm. and causing people to act in a completely different, non-transactional way. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know I love that word. And I think that that's the key here, too, that this type of hatred comes out of the positiveness, out of the goodness of what Christ is doing. Not the condemnation, because mm. that's what you would expect. Right. But it's Christ who is the stumbling block, the gospel. That's the stumbling block. Well, and to flow with that, moving into verse 16, they, the disciples and apostles, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I love this imagery that Jesus is painting and pointing to. I have done all the work. I am the Holy One. I am the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Law Fulfiller. And I bring them into me so that they'll do my work. Right. And I really like that aspect because it doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, they'll come into me and everything will be great. <laughs> They're going to win the lottery. They're going to have luxury homes and everything will just be great. I'm sending them out to those who hate them. Yes. And I think this is a, a wonderful picture that we already have had established. The prophets in the Old Testament are never sent to the good guys or the people waiting to hear them. Right. It is oh, when the prophet shows up, it's probably because you're not doing something. Mm -hmm. And they're there to give you God's word to correct you, to bring you back into a restored relationship. Because in every one of those instances, when God sends the prophet to a people, 
It is to show his care right. for those people. Yeah. Which is, you know, most of the time he's sending prophets to Judah or to Israel, but sometimes they'll even send a prophet like Jonah to, Nin- to Nineveh. Mm-hmm. And that reveals more about God than it does about Nineveh. Right. Because uh, we know that Nineveh was not a good place at the time, mm-hmm. but it instead shows God's care even for these nations that were at the time outside of his chosen people, Israel. Right. And, and that reflects the idea again that we are sent yes. to do God's work, but it's the one who sent us who is completing that through us. And this is a lot of comfort because it doesn't mean that I have to have the right words, the right script, the right whatever. It's God has placed me here to be his saint, to right. be his child, to live in trust. One of the things that I love telling people, um, you don't have to have the right words. Just trust in God. And that's not, he's going to give you the words. He's going to give you the perfect situation. It's the fact that because you believe that you're forgiven, because you believe you're loved, because you believe God is at work, things are taken care of because it's him who works within you. You are the one sent because of his power, his might, his authority, his grace. And in that grace, you live out your faith. You are sanctified in him, not because you did something, not because you didn't do something, but because of what has been given. And this is why we can challenge the world. This is why we can challenge the culture. And it's never, again, let us change the world, let us change the culture, let's make them uh, churchly, Lutheran, or, or whatever. No, we actually get to participate in the world in the love of Christ. We get to actually do the opposite of what the world does to us. The world comes after us with hate, venom, anger, the whole nine yards. How do we respond? We respond as Christ does. We point to the love of Christ. We point to forgiveness. And this doesn't mean that we're wimps. It doesn't mean that we don't have something to say. It doesn't mean that we tolerate wrong things. But how do we approach that? Right. We get to approach it in Christ-like love, seeing the world as the way Jesus sees the world, as something in need of redemption, something in need of restoration, something in need of the truth. And... I don't really worry about this, but it's not outside of the realm of possibilities. Those statements might get you killed. Yeah. Well, that's part of uh, the confirmation, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, often we kind of gloss over that because we don't feel that our lives are too in danger for making these confessions. Right. But that's part of what you're promising. Yeah. But I, I like what you said. And I think back to John 3, where Jesus, you know, said, for God so loved the world. Right that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Mm-hmm. God shows his love for the world, not just by sending his son Jesus to die, but by sending us out into it. Because right. like I said earlier, he sends prophets to those that he loves. Yeah, He sends us into the world because he loves the world. So we cannot hate the world, even if the world hates us. And this attitude about our enemies is actually central to the Christian ethic mm-hmm. because it it's exactly what Christ did. Christ at the hands of his enemies suffered and died, not smiting them, mm-hmm. not getting himself off the cross, but he suffered at their hands. And as scary and hard as that is for us, that's what we're called to do when the world hates us too, is to suffer at their hands, suffer at the hands of our enemies, not fight and destroy them. And that's what it means to love them because we have been sent to them. And that's our attitude to the world. People that we have been sent 
two, knowing that it is God's goal, God's desire that the world itself will be redeemed. And ultimately it will be when Christ returns, it will be redeemed. And we look forward to that day. Well, again, starting the podcast off with uh, the true celebration of the resurrection, the continued celebration of the resurrection, we should never lose sight of that, knowing that whatever situation we fall into, especially as we proclaim the truth, as we live out the truth, we have the resurrection. We have life forever. Your forevermore is taken care of, that you truly, in boldness, get to live out your faith. And that's why we go to church Sunday in and Sunday out to be encouraged and be reminded. You're loved by God. You're loved by Christ. You're loved by the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is at work in, with, and for you so that you are sent out into the world that hates you. But the life of Christ is for you just as it is for the world. And this is what it means to be in the world and not of the world. Right. Which is how this, you know, passage often gets summarized and sometimes misused. Mm-hmm. Like I had a friend in in high school and he would kind of dress a little weird. He would dress strangely and he would cite that we are to be in the world and not of the world as the reason he was dressing strangely. It's interesting. No, it, it definitely is. And that's not what this means. Right. The strangeness that we have, the the fact that we belong not to this world but to Christ, affects the way that we interact with the world mm-hmm. by being Christ-like, by approaching it as something we have been sent to, even if we suffer at the hands of it. Uh, again, that's the joy of coming to church. It's been reminded, what has Christ done for you? What has Christ done for the world? Go live that out. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.